0: You're listening to Scattered by Anchored Baptist Church, where we work to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gather to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus, and as we scatter to share it. We hope that you enjoy. Hello there, Anchored Baptist Church. I'm going to jump right into James chapter 2, verses 1-13. With an introduction. (laughs) At the end of James chapter 1, we were reminded that we have not just been saved from Satan, sin, death, and hell, but that we have been saved to something. Specifically, that we have been given a law from God that now, as Christians, we have been freed up to follow because of a new heart that has been formed inside of us. James called it a law of liberty. Because the weight and the burden of the law has been carried and is being carried by Jesus. He saved us from our failure according to the law. And now we have the freedom um, to, to do what God has called us to do. Which includes those many good works that he places in front of each of us every single day. This week... We will hear this law being called something different and interesting, and we're going to receive some specific commands from God through James that are very important for our life as a church here at Anchored Baptist. So, to get us started, let me first focus us on what I think the text is putting our attention on this morning. Here's our big idea. In a world of separation and favoritism, Jesus is mercy for you. In a world of separation and favoritism, Jesus is mercy for you. Now, we are in a time of separation. It stinks. And... If there was a shiny, bright side to this whole thing at the beginning, I've completely lost sight of it. Now, South Africa has always worked hard at separating things, though. Social distancing was a national pastime between people groups here, and it worked so well that now everyone is willing to say that it was wrong while also actively working to make sure that everything stays exactly the same. We're going to see today that this is called sin. Now, you may want to say, and probably should say, Wade, you better watch it. Remember, you're a foreigner here. Now, this is true. And I know that I need to be careful. And I have only a slight sense of freedom to explore this because I am an outsider. But also because where I'm from, though it looks very different, the sinful... Roots and fruits are too much the same to ignore. And before we jump into verse 1, let me just pray for us real quick. Father God, we love you. We pray this morning by your word and by your spirit that we would see Jesus clearly in this text and that you would convict us of our sin, bring us to a place of repentance, and that you would be pushing us forward, spurring us on to love you more and to love our neighbor more. And God, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. James chapter 2, verse 1. My brothers and sisters, do not show favoritism as you hold on to the faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this letter was written to a particular group of people but it is God's word. And so this was also written to you and it was directed at you. God's word is for you. And James very simply commands that we do not show favoritism. Don't play favorites. Within the church, do not hold one person higher than another person. Do not show favoritism. Do not hold prejudices in the body of Christ. Now, we all know that this world is it's full of disunity and prejudice and favoritism. This is normal. This is absolutely normal. And it is absolutely evil. Now, before we go on to James's example... First, let's take note of the fact that James actually uses Jesus' name here. This is the second and the last time that Jesus is going to use the name of his brother, his Lord, and his Savior. Why? I have no idea. And to be really honest with you, it drives me crazy. But what I will say is that as we move through the rest of the book of James, we will see many other references to Jesus, uh, usually with the title Lord. Yet he seems to use Jesus' name here for a specific reason, which we'll hopefully come to in just a little while. So on to James' example, verses 2 through 4. For if someone comes to you in your meeting wearing a gold ring and dressed in fine clothes and a poor person dressed in filthy clothes also comes in, if you look with favor on the one wearing the fine clothes and say, sit here in a good place. And yet you say to the poor person, uh, stand over there, or sit here on the floor by my footstool. Haven't you made distinctions among yourselves, and become judges with evil thoughts? Okay, so picture it. A rich man comes into church. Now, we don't know if this is a church member, or if this is someone who's just visiting. Uh, Many churches today will try to get and keep that man in his and his money as soon as he steps foot in the door. <laughs> anyway, let's picture it for us. This rich guy walks into Anchored Baptist Church, and, you know, he's got on some, some nice rings, he's got a big smile, and people know that he is important in the community. And me, you know, I'm standing in the doorway while I'm trying to sweet-talk him right into the in through the doorway, telling him about the uniqueness of our church, and how well he would fit in, and hey, look, I've even got a basket of goodies to give away as a gift to visitors, and I'm introducing him to someone who's just like him, and all the while a poor man has come in behind me, and I turn and I start to make some judgments. He must be here for something. This guy wants a handout. Like I would give a visitor like that a welcome basket. Yeah, I'm going to sit him on the edge of the chair so that as soon as church is over, he can feel the freedom to get up and leave. And then I'm going to tell him that we don't give anything away here and that he shouldn't even ask. Now, the rich guy, ooh, I'm going to sit him in the middle so that everyone can see that there's a new guy, he's dressed nicely, and everyone can stop him before he runs out at the end. Now, Church, if you've ever seen me do that, you can slap me across the face for it later, okay? Because <laughs> that's what we call favoritism. James is using this as an example because in his time, this would have been a very visible example that everyone would have seen, everyone would have known, and they would have understood. For us, we could just list any number of examples. Skin color, gender, employment status, notoriety in the community, good or bad, gangster or businessman. (laughs) People who are so open-minded that they have to beware to make sure that their brains don't fall out. And other that are so others that are so close-minded that you know we we might as well they might as well just leave because they're never actually going to hear anything that's being said anyway. Now, at the beginning of Anchored, and many of these people will come and go in the future. We had a lot of people that came seeking out favoritism. And some of those were extra holy, some were extra spirit-filled. Others were extra rich and just really wanted a place to fit in and feel important. People who needed to show their betterness in matters of theology. People who needed to take undue time and energy just to let me or someone else who was a part of the staff at that time know that not everyone agreed with everything or anything that me or another staff member was saying on any given week. (laughs) There are some who seek out influence and favoritism. And others, well, will just sinfully show it to them without them even asking for it. The truth is, and it should be when it comes to church, that we celebrate the differences that we have. But being made one in Christ, we also have to be sure that those differences don't divide us. Our confession of faith in Christ unites um, it unites all of us, in Him and under Him, and anything that tears that apart is not what Jesus wants for you, for me, or for His bride, the church. Now, our church is going to do this well all the time. No. Do we do it well all the time? No. <laughs> One more example of what happens to us at Anchored on a Sunday morning um, when we're actually able to gather, not during this weird time that we're in right now. See, we have church and then we have tea. And at tea time, everyone mingles. But some weeks, you see it, I see it, the room is still divided by color. Now, there are some reasons for that. Um, There's some reasons that are just honest reasons of catching up with people. However, I distinctly remember three separate times when we were a little bit younger as a church. And uh, there were people that were coming to visit. And then when they found out that we were a church that was seeking to reflect the diversity of Hermanus as we gathered and scattered... (laughs) this was deeply offensive and each of those three people I remember they they looked around afterward and then they came to me after the service or sometime during the week and very snidely remarked to me hey um you know I think it's cute this whole this whole slogan you've got going on but did you see your church afterwards during the tea I mean everyone was still segregated and separated um, but I'm you know, it's good that you're, um, you know, you're, you're making a show of it. Used to get this all the time. Well, that is nonsense. Because I know that everyone speaks to someone else at church who is not like them. I know that when we have time for brides or family meals that everyone's mixed up. Now, I also know that there are some mornings where, frankly, even me, as the pastor, I come to church and I don't necessarily feel like talking to everyone. Oh, don't hate me for saying it out loud. You know that I can be a little antisocial, okay? <laughs> but, but sometimes you, you don't have the energy. You're not coming into church happy and chipper every week, ready to share everything about your week and ask everyone about their week. And yet, I know that each of us that call ourselves a part of Anchored Baptist Church realize that we have been called together as a local expression of Christ's body. That he has called us together. And I have seen it over and over again, and I pray that you have as well. That Jesus has been knitting us together. (laughs) And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. I know that this will continue to happen, but I do also know that for us as a church, favoritism is always going to be a sin that is waiting right in that doorway, just needing a little bit of a nudge from Satan or from you and me, a little bit of an invitation in to come and wreak havoc on our church. Verse five. Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, Didn't God choose the poor in this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom that he has promised to those who love him? Yet you have not. Yet you, excuse me, yet you have dishonored the poor. Don't the rich oppress you and drag you into court? Don't they blaspheme the good name that was invoked over you? James is is looking around and he's saying, you see that financially poor person over there? Do you see that relationally poor person over there? That person that doesn't have any friends, no family? You see that foreigner over there? That outcast over there? You fill in the blank. It could be anything that the world looks at and says, that person is lesser than me. Or that person is deserves to belong on the bottom step of the ladder, right? Or whoever you think is lesser than you. This is the person that James is pointing to, and he's saying, don't you know that that is the person that runs to Jesus? And in fact, what he's saying to these Christians is, you were that person, you were that person, and you ran to Jesus, See, everyone comes to church to hear the good news about the person and work of Jesus. Now, not everyone knows that. Everyone has their own reasons for coming. But God gives us a reason, and the Bible gives us a reason. Um, and that is to hear the good news that our sins are forgiven, that Jesus, the good and gracious King, has saved us. He has made us new and whole, and he is giving all of us a a new earthly family and a forever home with Christ, with God. See, that's why we come to church. That's why everyone comes to church, to to receive the gifts that Jesus wants to give to us. But, out of the two people in this illustration, James reminds us of the person who sticks around. It's the poor one. (laughs) It's the one who is missing something that they desperately need. While the person who is self-important, the person that is completely self-reliant and doesn't need anyone else in their life, the person who wants to bring the world's games of favoritism into the church, They're going to walk away from a Sunday morning thinking, what was that? See, both of these people, whether they know it or not, come to hear from Jesus and to hear the good news about Jesus, but one of the people in this illustration has the ability to hear and understand, and the other person does not have the set of ears that they need to properly hear about what Jesus wants for them. And it's important here the language that James is using because he reminds us that we are going to inherit the kingdom because we are fully adopted children sharing in the blessings of a good father. But also our actions bring honor or dishonor to the king who has given us this this royal law. Oh, sorry, I'm jumping ahead. I won't say royal law yet. Uh, Our actions bring honor or dishonor to the king of this kingdom that we are inheriting, the kingdom that we are being welcomed into. See, we keep inviting people who want to, um, these people that want to be favored, right? Or, Or people that come in and are favored. We keep inviting those people to wear the name Christian, and yet, by the favoritism shown to them, the authority given to them, and the unchanging nature of their character, they continually dishonor God. Their actions take the Lord's name in vain, and we allow this to happen. In fact, we go along with it. We approve of it. And James says this is dishonorable and shameful. What it is, is it's sinful, right? Um, And now, uh, we could actually turn over, I would encourage you to read all of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, um, specifically 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. Um, But let me just read one small portion of it here. But God has so composed the body, that is the body of Christ, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice. And then verse 27, now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. See, what Paul is saying here is that when you dishonor someone that the world views as lesser inside the body of Christ, you are bringing shame and dishonor not only to Jesus' name, but to your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You're sinning against yourself, you're sinning against Christ, and you're sinning against the whole church and his body. This is not good. In fact, James is going to tell us that this is, in fact, evil. Verses 8 through 11. Indeed, if you fulfill the royal law prescribed in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. If, however, you show favoritism, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the entire law and yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking it all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. So if you do not commit adultery, but you murder, you are a lawbreaker. Royal law. Uh, Very simply, this is a law given by a king to his subjects. Now, how did we receive this royal law? Well, James tells us, in the way that our king has chosen to give it to us, in his word, the scriptures. What does this royal law tell us to do? Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, here is a fun one for me from James. If you fulfill that law, You are doing well, James says. (laughs) What is the opposite in this situation, according to James? Not doing well is showing favoritism. You, in fact, are committing sin if you are not fulfilling that law. You are declared guilty according to the law of the king. His royal law condemns you. See, even if you stumble in this one area, you are guilty of it all. This is how serious the holiness of God is. That giving the welcome basket and the right hand of fellowship to the rich man who walked in, or the important person that walked in while ignoring the quote-unquote lesser person, that is That is abusing the name of Jesus, and it makes you guilty of breaking the whole law. Paul tells this in Galatians chapter 3, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law, and do them. (laughs) Now, James uses another obvious example for us here. Um, if I were to say that I cheated on my spouse or that I stole another man's wife, but, oh, I would never murder someone for, I would never kill someone for selfish reasons. Or reverse it. Well, yeah, sure, I murdered a guy, but I would never steal his wife. What do you think I am, a monster? <laughs> well, James says, Yeah, according to the law of our royal god and king, yes, you are a monster who is sinful and selfish and condemned. Maybe that's why uh, David decided to go all in on that one, right? Murder the guy and steal his wife. Sorry, that's a bad joke. In these verses 8 through 11, we do need to ask the question, what if I'm not doing well? Right? What if if I'm not loving my neighbor as myself? Well, we're going to come back to that in the end. Let's go ahead and go down to verse 12. Speak and act as those who are being judged by the law of freedom. For this judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment these are two surprisingly difficult verses at least for me to understand right because all throughout this passage um i'm i'm hearing i'm reading it i think i'm tracking along and then i get to mercy triumphs over judgment and i suddenly say what james what are you talking about i want justice i want judgment i want I want the person who's seeking the favoritism, I want the person that's showing the favoritism to be judged. And I, and then, as I continue to study this passage this week, I suddenly realize, oh, the mercy here is for me. (laughs) I am the one that deserves the judgment because I am the one that has not fulfilled every Part of this law. So I am to speak and act as someone who is being judged by this law of freedom. Now we know from elsewhere in Scripture, one Peter included, that we studied together that Jesus is going to judge us. What is the content of that judgment? We'll leave that up for another day. But simply to say that Jesus is both our judge and our savior. He is both our judge and the one that shows us the mercy of God. He is both our judge and he is also the one that gives us everything that we need for salvation. If someone's going to be judging me, I realize this week I don't want it to be me or someone like me. I want it to be Jesus. (laughs) I want it to be the one that gives the mercy and grace. I want it to be the one who is mercy for me. Now, should we be concerned here that um, for judgment is without mercy? That is, there will be no mercy for the one who has not shown mercy. Um, This is very typical language throughout Scripture. This is very typical wisdom language to generally say, look, if you don't show mercy, you're not going to be shown mercy in this world. If you're not loving towards your neighbor, don't expect your neighbor to come to your rescue. Right? I mean, this is very common language. But even Jesus in Matthew chapter 6, he says, but if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you your trespasses. And we talked about this when we were studying the Lord's Prayer, right? And we said, does this mean that if I'm unforgiving towards people that I won't be forgiven? Well, that's actually what the words say, isn't it? But how can that be? I thought Jesus forgave all sins. I thought, yeah, Jesus does forgive. And you being someone who has received that forgiveness who all of your sins have been placed aside, should you not also show forgiveness to others? Uh, In a parable in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus says something very similar. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should you, Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's a horrifying statement from Jesus. How can he say that? Why would he say that? He would say that because he is the one that forgives. Jesus wants you to understand that you can be forgiven. Jesus wants you to understand, in fact, that you are forgiven. And that you can go out into this world and no matter how badly someone sins against you. That's a big statement I'm making. And it would be hard depending on the size of the sin, right? The pain that it causes you at that time and in the future, the nightmares that it causes you, and yet you have the ability now that you have been forgiven to forgive that person. In closing here, I want to read from just a couple of Actually, different translations from Romans chapter 3. But in our time, something new has been added. What Moses and the prophets witnessed to all those years has happened. The God setting things right um, that we read about has become Jesus setting things right for us. And not only for us, but for everyone who believes in him. For there is no difference between us and them in this since we've compiled this long and sorry record of sinners both us and them Jews and Gentiles here and proved that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives god wills for us god did it for us out of sheer generosity he put us in right standing with himself a pure gift he got us out of the mess that we were in and restored us to where he always wanted us to be. And he did it by means of Jesus Christ. For God presented Jesus as the sacrifice for sin. People are made right with God when they believe that Jesus sacrificed his life, shedding his blood. This sacrifice shows that God was being fair when he held back and did not punish those who sinned in times past. For he was looking ahead and including them in what he would do in this present time. God did this to demonstrate his righteousness. For he himself is fair and just, and he makes sinners right in his sight when they believe in Jesus. Jesus does not play favorites. Church, you are expected to not play favorites. These games are always going to be played in the world. Separation of peoples, favoritism, prejudices are going to be pressed upon you, and you're probably going to press them upon others. But you need to know that Jesus does not play favorites. Jesus placed all of us on an equal playing field by looking at us and declaring that one thing was true of all of us, that we are all sinful and broken people. We have all fallen short. And and frighteningly enough, That is the one thing that determines our experience of God's grace and his presence for eternity. That is the one thing that that keeps us from being able to see the goodness and the greatness and the mercy of God. And yet, as we just read from Paul, Jesus is the one who made it all right. He set all things back to the way that they should be in you. And he made you right with himself. He is the just one and the justifier. He is the one that looks at you and says, here's my righteousness. Take it. God sees you as as perfectly clean. He sees you as complete and whole and not lacking in anything to come into his presence. Jesus has shown you mercy. In fact, Jesus is mercy for you in this world of separation and favoritism. Don't forget that, church. Don't forget it because that is good news. Until next time, know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit is with you all.